Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of GodPod. Um, I have no idea what number this is, but uh, quite a high number because we've been doing this for quite some time. And uh, it's great, as always, to be joined by our uh, two regulars. So it's not just myself, Graham Tomlin. We also have Jane Williams. We do. And we also have Michael Lloyd. As well, yes. Yeah, here we are all together again for uh, the umpteenth time. But So it's not just us today. It is the three of us who are regular um, people on GodPod, but we're also joined today by a special guest who is um, Joseph DeVarco. Joseph is uh, joining us from um, uh, his position as uh, a lecturer in church history at St. Melitus College. And um, Joseph's been doing all kinds of interesting research into different aspects of church history and teaches church history within the college. And so today's GodPod is an episode on the history of the church, but particularly looking at... um, uh, the kind of global perspectives on that, which we'll talk about in a moment. But um, Joseph, it's great to have you on GodPod. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Great. Um, just before we get started, Joseph, t- um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and uh, where you, um, how you got to be teaching church history as you are today. Um, well, my background, I suppose, is the thing that singles me out at St. Melitus in that I am a historian. I did a history degree and uh, I do historical research uh, now which is a funny position to be on a faculty uh, like we have at the college I'm surrounded by theologians who work on all this holy you know god theological spiritual stuff <laughs> and then of course church history is really a story of beheadings and burnings at the stake and human <laughs> people doing grisly things to one another uh, which is funny that's all I'm really trained and hardwired to think about but um, teaching history to theologians or to students of theology has been a rewarding experience to me as a Christian because it has actually enabled me to think about the God behind this sort of grisly human tale which has been really good. And students are quite interested in that I mean having taught church history myself for many years people love the stories Um, and church history is full of stories as I say, some of them grisly, some of them a little bit more dull. It's just a story is always good fun to, to listen to. And that's, that's basically what you're doing, telling his story. is a story of, of um, the past and the kind of effect that Christian faith has had upon culture and that culture has had upon uh, upon Christian faith and so on. But um, and what's why the do you think, of- yeah, why do you think people studying theology now, um, studying in order to help lead churches, why do they need to know about church history, Chosen? Well, I think there are um, three reasons, probably. Church history helps to explain the church, particularly um, I teach a lot of students who are being ordained into the Church of England, which is obviously a a historic and a peculiar, in many ways, denomination. Um, And many students have kind of come up through one or other part of that denomination but I think studying the kind of story of how we got here explains why some churches 
wear robes some churches play guitars some churches wear robes and play guitars <laughs> latin others are in romanian that sort of thing um i also i like to remind students that um history is a we talk about it as a humanities subject and we usually distinguish the humanities from the sciences now but of course historically uh, the humanities are distinguished from theology which is divinity the study of god and history helps us to study human beings but um you know humanity is half the story of christianity we are all humans god revealed himself incarnate in the human form so insofar as history helps us to understand ourselves understand what it means to be uh, a human person that's that valuable part of the um part of the course i think i mean the reason why students i think are so drawn to these grisly stories is that they they know that they are grisly people themselves they have all sorts of you know complex mucky lives in all sorts of ways as we all do and so there's a degree of encouragement i think from seeing history is you know the gospel passed down generation to generation through people just as sort of complex and flawed as ourselves and so i think i think insofar as it is a humanity it teaches us about our humanity um i think that's important and that's why i like to encourage students when you know particularly as they're doing church history to engage with other humanities to read some novels read some poetry look at some pictures that sort of thing all these things that help us understand the human um, experience and then thirdly it does it does i'm forced to admit teach us something about god i think you know god has revealed himself to us definitively in a, an historical way you know in a peculiar way walking around in sandals in a peculiar place at a peculiar time 2000 years ago and i'll kind of Not point so. out what's that sorry sandals but not socks not socks no he was uh he was without sin so. <laughs> and without socks and, uh, uh the way he allows us to access that revelation of himself is through this kind of chain of transmission this kind of family tree down hand to hand person to person through generations and generations of as we say mucky dirty human stories and that tells us something about the character of god i'm not a theologian so i can't tell you precisely what it tells us but i feel it tells us something uh, that's probably there's, significant there's something about church history that kind of helps you understand yourself as a christian I often sometimes you talk about church history as almost like your own christian family history you know we've all got our own genealogy our parents and grandparents and and so on sort of biologically if you like and it's fascinating to kind of research and discover who went before you and who made you who you are today you know you get those programs was it you know called um who do you think you are where celebrities look into their kind of backgrounds and find out it's always very kind of emotional journey discovering where you've come from or dna journey or something um but if you like as a christian it seems to be church history is your sort of spiritual family tree and tracing that back and the people and the churches and the movements that have influenced the person you are today and the more you understand that the more you realize that what the faith you've received is something that has been has been passed on to you you know you may think that well you know i've got my own theology my own view of things but then you suddenly realize that how much that's been shaped by people and movements and and um, things that have gone before so it seems to me that there's that a level of self-understanding that goes on when you study church history as well i think that's right i like to tell students that unless you've been converted 
in some kind of Pauline way, a bolt from the blue while you're on a desert island or something, you will have been evangelized by people, catechized by people, could be a parent, could be a sort of stadium revivalist speaker, you know, anyone. And those people that have raised you in the faith, made you a Christian, will in turn have been evangelized and catechized by people all the way back to sort of living, breathing Jesus. So yeah, I think that's exactly. absolutely right. And we the other thing about, is about if we're made in the image of God um, and we're all different, we depend upon other people for uh, expanding our own understanding of who God is and our own perspective on him. Um, and in fact, the more different people are, the more we learn from them. And people from the past are more different. It's a foreign country. They do things differently. Mm. Mm. Um, and therefore, we have a huge amount to learn uh, how the life of the reflection of, of God was was carried out over over the centuries, both both in positively and negatively. Um, but but it's expanding of our, our concept of because they're unique human beings made in the image of God and therefore reflecting a different angle on God than anybody else does. No, fascinating. And then Joseph, I guess what what are the controversies around about church history or any history these days? Is the extent to which the history that we tend to study, whether in schools or universities or in theological colleges, is dominated by one particular perspective on that history. In other words, we tend to think of it as Western history and dominated by, you know, kind of um, a Western perspective on things, seeing everything from the perspective of, you know, Western European males and, and so on. And so there's been a lot of talk about um, decol decolonizing the curriculum, seeing church history with uh, different perspectives from different global cultures. And I know this is something you've been thinking about a little bit recently and um, just tell us a little bit about your take on that debate and what, um, and if, if there's any great virtue in decolonizing the curriculum, and if so, how is it best done? Yeah, I've been thinking a little bit about this recently. I don't seem able to escape thinking about this. Uh, I was asked to um, help put together a module, a new module, which we're offering at St. Melitis called Theology in a Global Perspective. Uh, I deal with the kind of historical side of that I think um, I think it's worth saying that this trend has kind of come out of wider um, academia both theology and history and other disciplines too uh, and has implications for the church and theology and Christianity but functions slightly differently or at least some particular and particularly interesting questions are raised when we try and think about this in a Christian way so when I was a student of history um, in a secular university there were the beginnings of this kind of uh, movement to say we should decolonize the curriculum uh, we should teach history say in a global perspective I think there is a spectrum of different ways that you could understand that from saying uh look the way we teach history in this country usually focuses on um british history first so as part of my degree i had to do a core set of modules on british history about the development of britain uh and then european history i had to do a certain number of uh modules on the development of the european nation and things like that 
And then if you were very lucky as a sort of treat, if you had space at the end of the degree, you might fit in a module here or there on whatever, Turkey or Japan or something like that. Um, and so on one level, it's, it seems fa fairly simple to say, we live in an increasingly glo globalized world. We travel all the time, we meet people um, from all over the world. Politically, the world is multipolar now. It's not a world in which sort of Europe or the West call the shots on everything. We should understand global sort of perspectives on history. So it's as valuable to study Chinese history as it is to study, you know, French or Dutch or, or Belgian. I think at the other end, that can be taken even further in some uh, schools of thought, I suppose, to saying um, that history curriculums say, I'm using history as an example, just because that's my, my thing. History curriculums are almost deliberately focused on Western history, British history, um, almost intentionally as a function, as a way of keeping the West on top and of being structurally um, imperialist, if you like. You know, the West should still call the shots. And one of the ways we achieve this is by only teaching our Western history as though other forms of history were, were inferior. And it's a function of building, you know, what people would call a structurally racist educationally system and that kind of thing. So I think there's a, um, there's, that is to say, there's a spectrum between saying, look, we live in a global world now, we should try and, uh, you know, understand one another and have a wider frame of reference to things to saying actually our entire intellectual culture is tainted and toxic and needs to be torn down and built up in a different way. Um, one of the things that I think is particularly challenging, confronting for uh, Christian historians and theologians, as I'm putting together a module called Theology in a Global Perspective, is that um, the fact is that the, the majority of worldwide Christians, um, uh, although the majority of worldwide Christians, or you know, the fastest growing sections of worldwide Christianity are now outside the West, outside Europe and North America, the majority of Christians in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, Asia, South America, have received Christianity, have become Christian in some way through the Western tradition or that, you know, the history is that of Western missionary movements, which are attached to the history of Western colonialism, Western, Western empires and things like that. So um, unlike in secular history, where you might say, I, I'm interested in China, so I will study Asian history uh, as a big component of my degree and sort of that, that's that, I don't need, need to do the other stuff. There's a degree to which Western history and Western perspectives are sort of inescapable, even for global Christians. Um, there's also a degree then to which global Christians or Christians who are not, you know, in and of the, the West are kind of confronted with this, this personal conundrum of, uh, I have something which is very dear to me, which I would want to cling on to, my Christianity, which is nevertheless attached to a kind of tainted inheritance or is attached to a complex bit of history. There is political injustice and there is violence in the story of how I've come to be a part of the church and of the form of Christianity that's kind of come down to me. Um, a former colleague of mine, Rennie Choi, has written a good book about, you know, trying to unpack this um, 
kind of conundrum. To that, to that extent, then, Susan, do you, do you think it's well, given the um, the very significant part that Western Europe has played in the kind of development of Christianity worldwide, that it's kind of almost impossible to decolonize the the um, the, the curriculum entirely to kind of um, to take out that Western influence or um, and if if so is is that attempt not worth doing or how, how would you see it um, I mean is, is decolonization actually impossible as a ta as a task because of that I think I certainly think it would be impossible obviously my view is not the only view on offer on these things but I think it would be impossible to remove a detailed study of the Western Christian theological tradition from um, from a kind of core history or theology curriculum. Hmm. Um, most expressions now, e even expressions of Christianity that you would find now that you would say were very African or very Latin American have been indelibly shaped by the inheritance of uh, Augustine and Luther and Calvin and Wesley and etc cetera, etc cetera. so I think I don't think you can remove that uh, from a kind of curriculum in the sense that in, in a certain type of uh, scholarship you perhaps get the impression that um, there's this kind of Christianity and then tainted terrible history that has delivered Christianity to us in a flawed way and if you could tear down that tainted middle bit you could somehow restore our point of access to a pure unblemished form of Christianity. I don't think that is a, is a feasible or meaningful task. So, but I think then that leaves the question of what does it then mean to have a post-colonial approach to mm. theology? And this is mm. what my colleague Rennie's book was all about as well. What yeah. does it mean then if I'm an Indian Christian to study Christianity? Yes. Yes. To study, um, the Western Christian and, and, and theological canon. But what does it mean for me to own it as an equal partner to those who remain in the West or kind of direct geographic descendants of um, Western Yeah, Europe? fascinating. In this new module then that you're putting together, Joseph, um, uh, I, I noticed that you start with um, church history and and uh, the, the, one of the first lectures is, is entitled Two Centres of Gravity in the Earliest Church. Uh, is that part of the way in which you might want to um, begin to tackle how we acknowledge that Christianity is, a much, is much more than just a Western thing? How, how are you setting about it in the module? I think so. My, so my core sort of church history module, which I teach on our um, normal undergraduate degree programme, is quite a Western module in that you know we're preparing students or many students for uh, to be vicars and things in the Church of England. So we have a heavy focus on Europe, Western Christianity, the Church in Britain. I like the and idea of vicars and things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> vicars etc. And I think that's fine. I think that's justifiable on on that module. Part of what we try to do with uh, the global theologies thing is to offer a more worldwide, more international kind of survey of church history, which throws up some interesting questions, I think. So, so one of the things we look at is the spread in the early church of Christianity, 
not just within the Roman Empire, which we sort of know about and like to look at, but the spread of other forms of Christianity all the way through Central Asia and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, these churches that you that you then find in um, the north of the Indian subcontinent or even in Sri Lanka or in northern China by the 8th century. Um, uh, now, that that's an interesting thing, and it, it throws open some interesting uh, questions for students, I think, because on the one hand, that that sort of study helps to show that um, Christianity is not from the beginning. Christianity is not a Western or a European thing. I mean, it starts in, in Palestine, uh, for goodness sake. But it also then throws open this this question that actually the, the majority of uh, Chinese Christians today say actually don't sort of claim their direct spiritual descent from those 8th century Nestorian Christian communities in, in, in China or whatever. Actually, the majority of Christians in China now owe their spiritual inheritance, if you like, to some sort of uh, uh, modern Western missionary movement. So there are all sorts of things for students there to unpack about. What does that mean then? There are older forms of Christianity in China. If I'm a Chinese Christian, there is a significance to that. And yet that is that's sort of a cousin branch of the church if you like and there's still that western bit that has to be um unpacked or that we have to figure out our relationship with i think your point about the origins of christianity are is really significant i mean you you said earlier you can't you know that western perspective is, is inescapable um even for people global christians but so should be an eastern perspective given where it came from given the culture and the context uh, that we have to read the coming of Jesus through. Um, and actually, people who've remained in that culture have a lot to share. I mean, Ken, Ken Bailey, Bailey's work on um, people in that kind of agrarian uh, community and context and culture it has a huge amount of light to share um, and the traditions that he's uncovered from, from the Middle East. Um, we, but we don't put nearly as much effort or time into it as we do into the Western perspectives, which come a whole lot later. Yeah, I think the, uh, the Western perspective um, is, sort of doesn't acknowledge that it isn't Western, does it? Uh, I mean, we mentioned Augustine mm. earlier. Um, he was Latin speaking, but, um, but from North Africa. And, you know, the first few Christian histories of Christian centuries are... Um, that the theological running is largely made by people we wouldn't consider now to be Western, but we don't acknowledge that in the way that we teach it on the whole, do we? We, we filter it through um, this, this great, one great movement that, that results in Christendom. And also, I think that the church history, I think I'd learned early on, um, kind of, you know, had this, this, this story that effectively, you know, yes, you know, they, yes, you had the, the early fathers, but it kind of landed in Britain, and really from the kind of early Middle Ages onwards, it was primarily kind of Western history. And it's really only later that I kind of realised that in the sort of 11th, 12th centuries, the centre of Christianity was 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 really where, where Turkey is today. Certainly, it wasn't in the West. There were far more Christians in in um, kind of that that world of sort of Eastern Orthodoxy, what we, we think of as, as the sort of Oriental Orthodox today. Than there, than there were in the West. That was the real kind of center of gravity of, of Christianity in, in that period. And so it's a kind of an example of how that sort of filtered out from the way we 
um, we think about Western history, about church history now. And it seems also seems to me there are great advantages in that because Christian faith is is probably one of, you know one of the one of the world faiths that is most multicultural or multilingual. Um, you know, to to be a Muslim, you kind of really have to learn Arabic because that's the only language where the Quran is. Um, you know, everything everything that's a translation from the Arabic isn't really the Quran anymore. Whereas for us. We don't mind the fact that you can't read Greek or Hebrew because the Bible is inherently translatable. We, um, we do mind at Wetcliffe, Graham. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you read Greek all the time, there, Michael. <laughs> but I guess that's the point that you know that, that you know it is uniquely a global um, uh, faith that is can can embed itself in any culture, and to, to that reason, to be faithful to the. The nature of Christian faith, it almost has to be taught as a global um, global faith. Is that right, Joseph? I think that's probably right. I think Christianity has a unique ability to be, as you say, translatable without becoming uh, syncretistic. Um, hmm. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's true. I think that still leaves the question then of... Um, the raw question is how do I as a Christian relate to my cultural Christian uh, inheritance? I don't think that, and I don't think that's just a quick question mm. for um, global Christians, because actually we all, you know, all Christians have had a share in this history. We all share in some mm. sense, the same mm. Christian story. Mm. How do we relate to that now? What does it mm. mean for us now? I think that's the bit that we're really mm. trying to piece together with students. And how do you how do you then go about? Because um, you know, the history of global Christianity is such a huge thing. So you can kind of understand why you kind of approach it from a particular perspective. Each of us has our own particular perspective on the world. We all come from particular cultures and so on. Because how do you open the eyes of students and others to that kind of global story in a way that doesn't entirely confuse by giving so many perspectives at once that it's almost impossible to get your head around it? It's a very good question, and one that I'm sure we will resolve sort of iteratively <laughs> as we run this much more over the next few um, years. I think uh, what I'm hoping we've done a kind of survey of history, as I say, this term, next term, we'll be hearing from. We have lots of guest speakers coming, being beamed in from all around the world, and I think there'll be a kind of uh, mm. selection of perspectives there from those who I think would say um i am say chinese and i am a christian uh and yes my christianity has much to say to my chinese context but also my chinese culture and 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 uh learning and context has much that can inform uh my understanding of christianity and and, and my understanding of uh, uh, so on and the story of western missionaries or, or Western imperialism has fundamentally done an injustice to my Chinese Christianity and has done a sort of violence to it. And I think we'll hear some perspectives like that, but I also think we'll hear, um, there are plenty of global theologians who I think would actually not say that they were involved in decolonizing or would not be so interested in deconstructing um, that kind of the, the Western part of their spiritual inheritance in fact one of the difficulties we've had in trying to book guest speakers is as often as not if you call up a theology professor in 
uh, uh, seminary in, say, India, they might say, well, I'm not actually understanding myself as being particularly, I'm bringing an Indian perspective to Christianity. Actually, I don't, and I don't repudiate the gift of mm. whatever it is, Luther, Calvin, hymns I was taught at school, the prayer mm. book that I you know, worship in and that kind of thing. Um, I just sort of own that in my context and I use that to speak to my Indian context or something like that. So there's a kind of, um, I think there'll be a real, you know, some people are very keen to deconstruct. Some people are very keen to find ways to, um, to own and have an equal share in uh, that kind of common inheritance in a sort of inclusive way. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's one answer. There isn't yeah. one global perspective, it mm -hmm. turns out. There are increasingly resources uh, that can help to enrich us, aren't there? I mean, there's, you know, there's been for a while the African Bible commentary, there's an East Asian one now. Um, there's a series of biblical commentaries just started um, from you know, Christian writers from Muslim contexts, um, which I think would be really helpful to, to expand our, our perspectives and uh, limit our limitations um, and help us see things that we otherwise wouldn't have seen from the text. I think that's a really good habit to get into, particularly for pre preachers to uh, yeah. equip themselves with different perspectives. Remind, reminds me of a comment that um, I think Lamin Sane, um, great African theologian, I can't remember whether we ever had him on Godpod or not. He did. Yes, we did. I think we did, didn't we? Yeah. Um, remember a comment he once made, which was that the, the greatest gift of Western missionaries to, to um, African countries like um, or, or other countries to which they went was actually to translate the Bible into those uh, countries and to develop literacy in order that people could read the Bible. So a, a normal thing would be translate the Bible, teach people to read so they can read the Bible. And what that did was two things. It increased literacy in those cult cultures, it enabled so literacy to go deeper. So we're going to wider ideas to, 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 um, to be um, explored. But it also, if we also enable people to translate the Bible into their own language and therefore discover their own kind of reading of that Bible within that culture. And it struck me that that insight kind of caught both sides of this really quite well. It, it didn't try to say that the whole of the missionary heritage was bad and to be disowned because actually a crucial part of it was the gift of the scriptures, the gift of the Bible translated into another language but also it kind of recognized that the interpretation of that bible was not necessarily to be dominated by a kind of western hermeneutic that actually it gave space for um, perspectives to be brought in from different cultures to read the same text but actually to develop an authentically asian or african or south american theology in, in its own way engaging with the text itself so it just struck me that was a kind of interesting approach to that very very theme yeah um, it's been, been fascinating to, sort of talking around this sort of issue. It strikes me, Joseph, we ought to be sort of checking back on you in a, in a year or two's time to see how you're getting on with your module and how the, um, how you know, what you've learned about decolonizing the curriculum. But it's been a really interesting discussion just to kind of begin to sort of dip into that. Um, any last comments or, or questions around amongst us before we finish? I'd like to, to see if, if it, I shall probably uh, no longer be with us, but um, if in sort of half a century, History, church history is significantly differently taught because of this mm. widening of our perspectives. I think in half a century, Joseph might still be around, but I think the rest of the three of us won't be. <laughs> I think our time will have run by then. <laughs>
Anyway. Well, there'll still be God pods. This is the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, the apostolic succession have moved on. Yeah, God pod in 50 years' time, celebrating its 120th birthday or something like that. <laughs> anyway. Well, we've reached the end of our time. So, um, Joseph well, DeVarco, thank you not. so much. Maybe not, not, not last 50 years, not. but I mean, <laughs> not that imminent. No, we're not about to peg it, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the end of this golf ball anyway. But, uh, Jose, it's been great to chat to you. Thank you so much for your time today. And um, very good to see you. As always, Michael and Jane. Thank you. Real pleasure. And uh, we will see you for another golf ball soon. Okay, goodbye. That was God Pod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.